Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you. We pray that you would enable us to experience your love in such a way that we might respond to it with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind in complete love for you. We ask this because we need you to do that in us. Pray now that as we hear your word, you would stir up love and gratitude and recognition within us. May we bless you even now. Amen. Um, Let me ask the sound team to bring me the PowerPoint clicker because I didn't remember to get it earlier. Um, So I have a question. How do you fall out of love? Everybody talks about how you fall in love, right? My kids are in their 20s. They're trying to figure this out. How do you fall in love? How do they get other people to fall in love with you? That's the main thing we're always trying to do, right? Um, And ideally, the right person, not the wrong person. It's always those people falling in love with us. We don't want to fall in love with us, but... So those of us who are older, the question is, how do you fall out of love? So I had a, something came up on Facebook from a friend, a missionary friend of mine, um, good friend who we taught together at, uh, at the seminary that I was at. And um, he said, uh, I'm out of a job. Uh, so any ideas? I was like, well, what happened? He, he, was, he, he left about the time we did and was pastoring a church. And uh, so I, I sent him a, well, Jan called his, his wife or sent a message and said, uh, hey, what's up? Sorry. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, I'll talk to you this weekend. And then a few weeks later, I wrote him and said, so, so um, what's up? And he said, well, um, I went back for a family reunion and my wife left me. And then January, she stopped counseling. May, she divorced me. And then um, the presbyters of his church said you can't pastor. And so he's out of a job, out of a marriage, back with his sisters. And I was, we were both like, how did that happen? We didn't see that coming. And uh, we also had other very good friends of ours. So he, I used to run with him. Jan used to walk with her. We didn't know anything was going on. We had, we had very good other friends of ours who were uh, also a uh, a uh, theology history professor and a New Testament professor who uh, got divorced and uh, had, had uh, difficulties. And that all happened while we were there. And uh, I, I thought that missionaries were sort of a little bit protected from that or uh, people who really knew the Bible or were taught that stuff or, uh, or maybe people in my family. Well, there's people in my family also who have had... Um, Adultery and divorces and other things happening. So none of us is immune to that. So after this happened with our, our friends, I said to Jan, so how, how are we? I, and I mentioned this to another friend. He said, well, how are you guys doing? I was like, okay. Um, you know, they said, well, when was the last time we, you know, took the day off and had a date? Uh, the time you were sick. Uh, yeah, for the weekend. That was... Before that, we had a 25th wedding anniversary around 30-something now. So, uh, so Thursday and Friday, we kind of took a holiday, took some time, and, and uh, guys were like, you know, we are not immune to falling out of love. 
This is a foundation for so much that we do, but it's easy to continue to have a foundation but not make deposits into the love bank and, 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 and to make withdrawals and have it as a foundation but not continue to, to build it because it's there, right? It's, it's foundational, right? Same thing happens in families between parents and children and siblings and, and aunts and uncles and, and it happens, doesn't it? You're like, wait a second, I thought we were and friends and uh, I thought we were tight. I thought we were good. It happens in churches. It happens in anywhere, right? And it also happens in our love relationship with God because we, God saves us. We're excited. We, we uh, get into it. And then we um, sometimes we're, get carried along with things and then we can fall out of love with God. Now, God doesn't ever fall out of love with us. Because he's faithful and he's, he's always there. But, but I have had friends who I thought were so committed to Jesus. A friend I had in high school and college, we were such good friends and committed to following Jesus. And then somehow, step by step, uh, he just went off and, and, you know, and kind of our friendship also deteriorated at the same time. And, and uh, very occasionally I'll have some kind of communication with him. And, uh, but he has totally given up on his love relationship with God, and he's got ways of explaining it away, and we've had apologetic conversations over, the, over uh, email, whatever, and you know, finally I kind of said, so, okay, so you can poke holes in everything, so tell me what you believe and why you believe it. And he's like, let's talk about something else. Because he, he's, he's just out of love. And the truth is, some of us can keep doing the stuff we do, um, our ministries. We can be reading the Bible and praying and, um, and still not really be actually in love with God. Mark Golley in Christianity Today wrote and said that, uh, he said, you know, as I was uh, realizing that I could, I read my Bible, I pray, but it doesn't actually make that much difference in my life if I just didn't do that. Um, would it make any difference? in my life, and, and, and do I do it because I'm in love, or do I just do it out of habit? And I said, I thought I should really pray about this, and then I realized, I don't even want to pray about this. I, I, don't even, I don't even care enough to want God to really change me into a, a lover again. And he said, how does that happen? And then he said, you know, I think it's also happening to the church. He said, there's a lot of people for whom love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is kind of, yeah, that's nice. Sometimes in the church, we change, he says, to making a difference in the world. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we really need to be about. We're going to transform things. We're going to change things. And sometimes in the process, he said he grew up in a liberal mainline kind of background. Um, The mainline church, he he didn't even say liberal, mainline good church. But it became very much about making a difference in the world and making a difference in the world. And then eventually people were excited about that, but then they kind of lost, you know, are we really making that much difference in the world? And, and couldn't we just make a difference in the world through another, you know, Habitat for Humanity or World Vision or the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or some other way? Isn't there another way to make a difference in the world? And actually churches maybe aren't the most effective at making a difference in the world. If you just 
judge what the church gets done by what it... So if we think, okay, it's all about missions, and we should be reaching the lost, or we should be about missions, we should be treated... And then you can get kind of disappointed, like, you know, our church doesn't really do as much as they could with missions. Or it can be about um, stopping the moral decline of our society. Or it can be about loving the, the poor and the marginalized or whatever it is. And you can find out that, you know, the church isn't that great at it. He's, he quoted somebody else who, who found there are a lot of evangelicals who have gotten key places in government and business and, and nonprofits and other things that are, that are really making a difference in the world. He said, but a lot of them don't go to a local church anymore because they're making a difference in the world. So what do they need the church for? Of course, see, loving your neighbor as yourself is easier in theory. I, somebody told me that the person who has the love your neighbor as yourself sign in their yard is the one who's the least good neighbor in their neighborhood. Um, and sometimes... One thing about church is you kind of have to put up with your real neighbors, like the ones you disagree with and the ones who have different views on things and the ones who have different, um, you know, so it's easy to love your neighbor as yourself when they're kind of a theoretical neighbor, when you can yell at other people on Facebook because they're not loving their neighbors as well as they should. But that guy, I mean... You know, I'm not sure about him. And we can talk about, you know, those mshamba, we'd say in Swahili, you know, those rural people, they don't really get it. They've got this, and rural people, oh, those people in the city, and, and, and even St. Paul, you know, we're urban versus those suburban, you know, whatever. We can do this thing. But aren't they our neighbors? Um, so, but the truth is that we can't love our neighbors as ourselves without the first and greatest commandment. I mean, they're really tied together. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself without empowering love from God. You have to receive love from God that's filled to overflowing to your neighbors. Or you won't have the ability to love them. Oh, you'll love them as much as they love you. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about loving your enemies and, and doing good to those who hate you and way beyond just being nice to people who are nice to you. Jesus says, oh, the pagans do that. What, who's, what credit is that? But we have to get down to this foundational issue of loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Well, if I love them with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, then what's left for my wife or my kids or my church or my neighbors? Well, somehow it doesn't compete because when we love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, it comes out in loving our neighbors. And when we love our neighbors, it's a way of loving God. But if they aren't tied together, it doesn't happen. And we talked last time about how that isn't really a popular thing in our society these days. Loving God, yeah, maybe, if that's your thing. Whatever God. Um, however you call God. Um, so I want to just talk about how do we love with everything, and how do we, well, the Bible says, 
we have been loved. He first loved us, so therefore we love. So we have been, and that doesn't come just from the New Testament. That is in the New Testament. But it doesn't just come from the New Testament. It comes from the Old Testament. Loved. Because you are fully and faithfully loved. Therefore, love. Fully and faithfully. Because you have been loved fully and faithfully. Love. Fully and faithfully. And that's Paul. That's, uh, sorry, not Paul. Moses' point as he's, he's preaching about the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. Last time we talked about grace. So listen, love, and live. Um, but I'm, we're still in those scriptures. We didn't really cover 5 to 11. So open your Bibles, Deuteronomy. There's the Bible in front of you. If you don't have one that you brought or in your pocket, on your phone, or however, um, just don't do what I do on my phone. When I go to look, I look, go to look at the weather, and then I start reading my email, and then I never, you know. Um, anyway, so open to Deuteronomy 5 to 11. We're actually in 6 and especially 7 and on. Um, we talked about in Deuteronomy 5 last time that its foundation is I am Yahweh your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. That is the grace. That is the foundation we have received, the love we've received, and therefore you must not have any other God but me. So grace fully and faithfully loved. We talked about you've been chosen, selected, and, and he makes this point that you are not selected because you're better, because you're stronger, because you're more righteous. He says you're stubborn, wicked, small, but I loved you. I chose you just because of my grace. I've, lo- I've lavished love on you. And, and this, these uh, scriptures are full of, of that word love. And it's usually about God loving us and how he has loved us in so many ways. Understand, therefore, that this is the, the, the center of the chiastic structure in chapter 7. In other words, the middle of the whole thing. Understand, therefore, that Yahweh, our God, is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. So if you want to receive love... Continue to love. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey all these commands, decrees, and regulations I'm giving you today. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you. As he promised with an oath to your ancestors, he will love you and bless you and give you many children. So you've been rescued from sin and slavery to self, society, Satan, world, the flesh, and the devil, or we can go on substances, and there's lots of things we've been saved from, right? And we continue to be saved from. I continue to have to be saved from myself. Um, it would help with my marriage and my kids and a lot of other things. Um, but we have enemies. But God has rescued us from those enemies, and he promises he will continue to rescue us. And we've been blessed. He talks about how, in, as you go on in there, how he's going to bless with children, he, You will be blessed above all the nations of the earth. None of your men or women will be childless, and all your livestock will bear young, and the Lord will protect you from all sickness. He will not let you suffer the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all your enemies. So, um, we just want to, he 
talks over and over about how in the past he has rescued them and blessed them, kept them through the wilderness and the, the dry times and the difficult times, and how he's going to give them victory and, and bless them in the new land that he's going to take them into. And how right now he is, they are his special chosen possession. So Deuteronomy 6, we want to come back to this. Listen, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone. You can put in Jesus there. It's a specific name. Jesus is our God. Jesus alone. And you must love Jesus, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these two commands that I'm giving you today. So this love is a covenant love. So when it talks about love, it's talking about not just romance or feelings. There is a feeling and a devotion that's there together with an obedience and a... And a I mean, when it comes down to love in a marriage, in a family, in a, with a neighbor, it, the feelings are important, but they got to be matched by some actions, right? And they ideally, they go together. you got some actions of love. So I, could lo- I love you, Mom and Dad. Well, could you mow the lawn? Could you clean up your room? Um, yeah, sure, but I love you. Yeah? <laughs> um, and likewise, if a parent says, I love you, but they don't give you food, they don't pay attention, they don't, you know, whatever, lock up when you leave, you know, that's not really love, right? We, it's a combination of both doing something, but doing it with a heart. And it's about a covenant commitment. So in this case, the covenant is a covenant between the king and his servant or his vassal king. And, of course, that's the difficult part of this, is that all of us are really trying to be like, yeah, you know, you're king, but I really want to be king. I, I really, so you said I shouldn't touch that fruit, but it looks good. Um, you said I shouldn't do this or that. You, you got these 10 suggestions, but I'm thinking that I might have another way to do that. Or, um, yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? We like, to, uh, we like to be in charge. We like to be king. When it comes right down to it, and that's the real issue in our marriages <laughs> and in our families and in our relationship with God, is I really want to be in charge. See, it's just not comfortable, this, even this whole Ten Commandments thing. And, the, and these laws that God would require something of me. I mean, suggestions that I could consider, I'm all right with that. You have some wisdom you want me to consider along with other research and so forth. But commands and demands and... Come on now, let's be honest. It's not only the world that has problems with that. The rest of us are also like... I mean, like this Sabbath thing, for example. You know, that's kind of old school, isn't it? I mean, can I, you know, some, some weeks I just got to work seven days a week. Doesn't help my marriage very much. What I, you know, Jan's working all week, and then I'm working all weekend because I got to preach or whatever. But really, Sabbath? Isn't that kind of old school? Or is it showing that I depend on God for everything? And six, keep in mind that Sabbath says we work six days and we rest one. 
some of us have issues with one or the other. I work three days, I rest four, you know. Um, or I work five days and I rest two. Well, that's, that's not, the weekend isn't yours, actually. The whole week belongs to God. And rest and work both show our dependence on God. Um, and we, if you remember, we, uh, we talked about remembering last time. Repeating these things again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're on the road and, and going to bed. And when you get up and tie them and write them and, and impress them. On, and we gave you a Ten Commandments so you could memorize those. So give them in the, your bulletin so you could keep that, the ten words, God's vision for your life. Um, how are we going to remember why is remembering so important? Well, here's why. There are some tests of love and tests of faithfulness. And when you, whatever love relationship you're in, whether it's your roommate or your friend or your marriage or your mom or your dad or your kids or your wife or your husband, it gets tested, Right? There's things that come along that test your relationship. And most of it's just life. Life happens, and God uses life to test us. And it takes some homework to, to pass the tests. And there are several tests there. So chapter 7 talks about this test, pagan cultures. It says you're going to go into this land, there's going to be pagan cultures, they're going to be worshiping this God and that God, and they're going to have this way or that way to get things done. Are you going to be faithful to what God wants? And what he says is there should be no compromise. He says no treaties, no mercy, no intermarrying. You don't marry their daughters, give your sons or your daughters to them. None of that. Because you have to be faithful. If you marry them, pretty soon you'll be following their gods. Solomon tested it out despite his wisdom. And uh, that's exactly how it worked. He married for some treaty power and diplomatic alliances, and they led his heart astray to other gods. Um, now that's one of those that's youth. Can you look at me? Yeah, none of you are thinking about marrying but I know you're thinking about girls and guys. When you're doing that, it doesn't mean you can't hang out with people who aren't Christians. It doesn't mean you can't maybe even go do something with them, maybe even a date, but don't give your heart. Don't spend too much time with somebody who's not devoted to Jesus. Because if they're not, you'll go with them and you'll be devoted to whatever they're devoted to. Maybe you'll move them a little bit your way, but you'll devote, move them a lot the other way. And so I, that's what it says. It just says, don't intermarry. Now, that's not popular. People say, oh, man, in the old days, the Catholics and the Lutherans, and they, they couldn't date each other. They couldn't marry each other. It was such a big deal. But now, you know, we're way more progressive than that. We figured out religion doesn't make any difference at all. You can marry anybody you want. Who cares? All right, is that progress? Okay, I, I think it's progress that we get along with Catholics and we 
If you find a Catholic who's totally devoted to Jesus and after it, okay. I haven't got a problem with that. But if you find some, so, um, somebody who remained nameless in my, in my family, I think I maybe I mentioned this, but she, but she was, uh, you know, dating this guy. I said, you know, what, what's his religious background? He says, I think he's Catholic. I think he's Catholic? And then they had the, the I think maybe I told you this already, they had the, um, the rehearsal, rehearsal dinner, and then the next morning when they had the pictures, he didn't show up. They called the hotel. He and his whole family had checked out. And they were gone. And that was it. Um, no, that wasn't it. We had, she went and threw up in the bathroom, and then we had a, uh, a celebration, reception, give some gifts to her for her new life thing. But that was really hard. And then she was asking, why did God do this to me? Hello? I didn't say anything, obviously. I just prayed for her, but um, she's gotten through that, and she got, found a good guy who actually believes in Jesus, <laughs> and they're doing okay. But it wasn't God's fault. Because she didn't care. She, it wasn't important enough. Loving God while your heart, soul, strength, and mind wasn't number one for her at least when it came to dating. Now, maybe in other areas. So, um, and all of us, you know, <laughs> so, chapter 7 is a tough chapter. Why is it tough? It's tough because it says there's no compromise. I mean, there's good stuff in here. Okay, so let, verse 3, uh, well, let's start in 2. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars, cut down their asherah poles and burn their idols, for you are a holy people. You belong to Yahweh, your God. Of all the people on the earth, Yahweh, your God, has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Yahweh did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the smallest of all the nations. Rather, it was simply that Yahweh loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why he rescued you. So, A lot of different directions here, but one of them is this is one of the hardest things to explain to other people. What? He told them to go in and destroy every man, woman, and child and kill everybody? That's not fair. Who decides what's fair and what's just? Is justice above God or is God the God of justice and he gets to define it? Now, I want you to notice as you go on uh, he will uh, explain that he's not um, let's go to verse chapter 9 people are strong and tall who can stand up against them this is chapter, verse 4 
of chapter 9. After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, Yahweh has given us this land because we are such a good people. No. It is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you're so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy their land. Yahweh will drive out these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize that Yahweh your God is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You are a stubborn people. Whoa. That doesn't make me feel good necessarily. But hey, listen, folks, when we are blessed, we like to think we did something to be blessed. Right? When, when, we, when we are blessed as a nation, we like to think it's because we're better than other nations. That's not what that says. Of course, he's talking to God's people here, but he's saying, you are not better. In fact, you're stubborn. You're small, you're weak, and I blessed you. But I did it. So there's two reasons. One is he's fulfilling the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The other is the wickedness of these people. So God deals with the wickedness through the rod of the Israelites. Back in Abraham's time, he said, I'm going to give you this land, but I'm going to give them 400 years to repent. But they didn't. They got worse and worse and more wicked. And then God used the Israelites to destroy them. Now, it probably wasn't as, as didn't work out like this ideal. Otherwise, if they really destroyed everyone, there wouldn't be any issues with intermarrying, right? Um, so it, it wasn't quite that clean a sweep. But the fact is that God is the God of justice. And again, justice means loving God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. It means loving our neighbor as ourselves. But sometimes God uses people to punish other people. So if I go beat somebody up, or if I lock them in the house, that's not just. That's not fair, is it? But if the police lock somebody up after a fair trial, that's, we call that justice, right? If it's done justly because of somebody's wickedness, we call that justice. And God is the God of all the earth. God is the God who has this land. And he says, you guys are not handling it well. You are both idolaters and being wicked to, to the poor and so forth. And he wipes them out using the Israelites. But he tells the Israelites, watch out. If you don't follow me, I will destroy you as well. And in fact, he does. Because they don't follow him. They are idol, idolaters. And then he uses Babylon to come in and wipe them out. And Habakkuk says, what? First of all, he says, how can you put up with this God? These people are so wicked. And then God says, I'll take care of it. Babylon's coming. He says, what? Babylon's worse than them. He says, yep, I'll take care of Babylon in their turn. So here's the thing. When God uses some people as a judgment for other people, we should say, well, we should, I, I don't understand all current politics, okay? And God's got a big view, like 400 years to, to get wicked enough? That's a long view. 
I'm not going to be around for 400 years to figure out how that works out. Right? But the problem is we can say we're more righteous because this time we were victorious. It is not they're wicked, we're righteous, we're victorious. You get what I'm saying? But we like to play it that way. Must be something we did that we got blessed. Something we did that made us victorious. Something great about us. You, you following me? Um, so this is a hard thing, but the reason it's hard is because we don't think God deserves to be in charge. We don't think God deserves to decide what's just and what's not. It's also hard because this scripture and this incident has been misused by a lot of people. Notice that everybody ends up saying, those enemies of ours are Canaanites. We are righteous. And so we get to take their land. Or we use that in taking this land from the Indians, from the Native Americans, right? We said all their pagan... It wasn't because it, wasn't it was so righteous. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe God was dealing with, with their wickedness, but it wasn't because we were so righteous that we got this land. Right? God in his grace, maybe God in his justice did that, but we can't be proud of that. You get what I'm saying? Um, and so... We, so God judges these people because of their wickedness, not because of Israel's righteousness, greatness. It's all grace. That's why they get it. What you have is from God. It's by grace. It's not because you deserve it. He's going to go on and talk some more about that. So the next challenge and test of love and faithfulness is poverty. Um, let's look at chapter 8. Verse 1. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will be live and multiply. Notice, love, obey, live. Live and multiply. You'll enter the, and occupy the land. Yahweh swore to give your ancestors. Remember, he says, remember how Yahweh your God led you through the wilderness for those 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you manna, a food previously unknown to your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. For all those 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, Yahweh your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. So he has this picture of we don't eat because we have bread. The picture is actually a little bit disgusting. It's a picture of a, a mother bird who goes and eats something, comes back and vomits up some food for the baby. We live by everything that comes out of God's mouth. That's the literal picture we have here. If God speaks 
and we, we talked about this during Lent, that Jesus said, you know, if God says stones, I take stones. God says bread, I take bread. And I'm going to live by that and follow that no matter what. So when things are tough, that is a test. Are we going to trust God when he humbles us? And we don't know where we're going to get our next meal, and we don't know how things are. We're sick and things are difficult. Are we going to trust God or not? And some of you are in a tough spot right now. Some of you are saying, I don't know. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, um, I don't know what it could be. But you're in a tough place, and you've got to trust God in the middle of that tough space. And some of us have been in some tough places. And there are some people in the world who are in some tough places, some Christians in the world, you know. So Tanzania has improved so that only a third of kids are malnourished these days. But they haven't had rains. So there's going to be a lot more kids who are going hungry, and especially the orphans and the widows. So their testing is, can I depend on God to eat today? When we were there, some, some people said, you know, some days we eat, some days we don't. And the people who were with me didn't catch that. They were because that just concept was, was impossible. A family eats some days, and some days they don't. This widow and her kids, yeah. So some people in the world are really being tested by that. In India, in China, in Sudan, people are persecuted for their faith. They're having to be tested in a difficult place. And some of you are also in some difficult places. Some of you were in some difficult places. And trusted God, you know, um, so a lot, of, a lot of Africans I know really depend on God for health, for food. Now, sometimes they forget about God when they don't need health and food. That African religion works that way, kind of like American tradition religion. You know, if things are good, then you're whatever. You don't need God. But we are not so good at that. Um, in general, we, well, here's the thing. He goes on to talk about prosperity. So when you, f when you meet pagan cultures, and by the way, we are surrounded by pagan cultures. We used to be able to talk about, I don't know, maybe it was a myth of the Christian nation, but we're surrounded by all kinds of pagan cultures. And most Christians in the world are surrounded by a lot of different pagan cultures, a lot of poles, a lot of idols, a lot of things that want to distract us and take us other places. When it comes to poverty, and we need to depend on God and his word and whatever he says. When it comes to prosperity, we need to follow with gratitude. Let's continue reading chapter 8. We'll go back to verse 6. So obey the commands of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways. Remember we talked about walking in his ways of justice? Do you remember that? Loving God, loving neighbors, and fearing him. For Yahweh our God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. Let's be honest. Most of us are pretty blessed to be in this land where we're at. You may not be at the top of the pile, but the pile's pretty high compared to the rest of the world. 
We live in a land where there's copper and iron in the Iron Range, and there's oil in the Dakotas, and there's all kinds of blessings, and there's amber fields of grain. And there's lots of blessing that we have received. But when we get to that, whether you got here recently or a while ago, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise Yahweh your God for the good land he has given you. For the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Be careful. Things are good. Why would that be the time to be careful? Beware that in your plenty you do not forget Yahweh your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. I want to... Oh, sorry. Um... This is, this is related to the discipline, the poverty piece. Um, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. He was training them as children, especially with the poverty. First Peter 1, be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead even when you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire test purified gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Peter's writing to people who are in difficult places. But it could also apply to the, this trial. But here's the... Sorry, I was referring to the previous poverty one with those. But prosperity, here's the path down that we see in Deuteronomy 8. Forget. It is easy to forget. Have you ever had somebody forget you? Like you were... You really blessed them and you really helped them out and you, were, you got them through this difficult thing, and then you bump into them, and they're like, uh, were we friends? Or they, you know, you helped them achieve this great thing, and then, uh, you know, you, you, you helped them write that book, and then you open the flap, and your name isn't there, like, I wrote this book. It's your ideas, but I wrote the book, and my name's not here, or whatever it is. You raise your kids, and then the things are going well, and they're like, Oh, yeah, sorry I haven't called for six months, but things are good. Um, it is painful to be forgotten. But it's easy to forget somebody, isn't it? And he is saying, do not forget Jesus. Do not forget Yahweh your God. No, you need to remember Jesus. That's why we talked about all those ways to remember. The next step is take it for granted. He says, no, when you were full, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. So Jews pray at the end of the meal. They say, thank you, Lord, for a full stomach. And I hope you've made a practice of praying either before or after. Maybe we should take from the Jews and pray after too. You know, I am anticipating this is good. No, it's been good and my stomach is full. Thank you, God. It can be kind of a ritual, but it's not bad to remember how you got that food on your plate. Why it's there. Because God gave it to you. But it's easy to take for granted. Now, let's talk about, in our relationship, it's also just as easy, isn't it? It's, in our marriage, it's easy to take 
Jan is amazing. But because she's amazing all the time, it's easy to me, for me to take it for granted that she's just going to be ama amazing every day. And it's easy for us to take for granted the things that the other person does, isn't it? Kids, parents, siblings, church. I see somebody nudging their kids. Maybe it's the other way around too. I don't know. Um, so, but where we go from taking for granted, so he says, don't do that. Praise God. Thank God when you're full. The next step is self-sufficiently. So, versus depending on God. So let's read the next part. When all those things have multiplied, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget Yahweh your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You were nothing. You were slaves. He's the one who rescued you. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with man in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember Yahweh your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But then how are you going to write the book if the book is just God did it? We need to write the book about how we became successful, right? And here's the tips. If you just do this, you'll be successful too, right? But the truth is, God did it. And it's easy for any of us to get comfortable and proud of whatever God's done for us. It's easy for me to, to say, you know, I have a PhD. That's, that's pretty cool. God did it all. Because I was the kind of person who, you know, was, had five books and four papers and one day left in the, my finals week, you know. And, and uh, I remember staying up trying to, trying to I, I was stayed in the office, office of the person that I um, was TAing for. And I thought, well, if I stand up, I won't fall asleep, right? So I, I'm standing up trying to read this before the test, and then I hear this bang, and I'm on the floor because <laughs> my knees had hit the file cabinet, and I was on the floor. So there was no possibility of me, you know, get, finishing my bachelor's degree. But I did. And then the next, the master's, and then the, that's God, okay? It's not something I can be proud of. I can. <laughs> but I don't deserve it, right? You know what I'm saying? As a church, we have had some good times. When I was here as a college student, we were growing, we were doing th good things, and we, you know, the church was up to 350, and it was, it, I think we got maybe a little proud of how, how well we were doing. And then we weren't doing so well. And things declined, and things kind of fell apart, and, and I don't know if it was because of our pride or what, but we went through a different season. We, and now we've got this great, all nations, family, and churches. And you know why we have it? Because God did it. It's not because we're so smart or we prayed so well or we were so ingenious. We asked God. He told us to ask him. We asked him and he did it. But we still don't know how to do it. And, um, but if we get proud of that, if we say, you know, we're... We're pretty big for a St. Paul church, and we've got all these nations here. They're, they're, that's because 
Yeah. That's the... We have to depend on God and not be proud. I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember Yahweh your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. What for you is something that you forget to thank God for? Something you think you've achieved. Your family is doing well. You're, you got some money. Or you succeeded in your ministry or your work. Or I find it so easy to take it for granted. And to coast a little bit. And I don't really need to thank God. I don't really need to pray and depend on God. I, can, I just need to get this done. Because I know how to do this. I don't know. Maybe you don't have those problems, but he said a lot of people have these problems. Not only a lot of individuals, but a lot of groups have these problems. And then he goes on, the next step is idolatry. He says, next verse, 19, but I assure you of this, if you ever forget Yahweh your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Just as Yahweh has destroyed other nations in your path, you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey Yahweh your God. We saw that it happened with Assyria and Babylon. God destroyed them when they forgot him, when they turned to idols. But here's the path. First, we forget. It's not something active. You just kind of don't remember where things came from, where your prosperity, your success, your your family or whatever came from. Then you kind of take it for granted. You forget to praise God. You forget to thank God. You forget to, man, I woke up this morning. It was a beautiful day. Almost like Nairobi or Monza. Felt good. Um, God gave us that beautiful day. And self-sufficiency. We, we, so the opposite of this descent into idolatry is to remember Jesus, to praise and thank Jesus, to depend on Jesus, and to faithfully follow Jesus only. That's what we need to do so we don't begin that slide. Um, the end of that slide is destruction. But the opposite is to receive life and blessing if we continue to follow him. You know, we just had Independence Day. just want to remind you that the Declaration of Independence has a Declaration of Dependence in it. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. I think we've tended to forget that piece of it. Now, we were into that when we were saying, you know, King George isn't king. God is king. And if God says we should be independent, then God can make us independent. And we were dependent on God to make that happen because we were outgunned, outmanned, and heading for trouble, right? Somehow, for whatever reason, God allowed that independence. I think, as a nation, we're no longer dependent on God. You know, but I said we're in a pagan culture. Um, you know, we talk about making America great again. 
We can't make America great again. We never made America great in the first place. That wasn't our doing. And people on the opposite side are trying, you know, whatever your perspective is or your position is, it's not, so, we, you know, when, when Raphael was here, my Tanzanian colleague, he'd, 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 so this Como Park, this is all like just set aside by the government and, and taken care of like this so anybody can use it? He said, your, your government is good. They've really tried. I said, well, there's a lot of taxes. He said, well, yeah, but your taxes do something. We pay taxes too, but they don't do much. And you, these roads, and you, you get clean water, right, just like that. And, you, you know, all these things. He, he would say, you know, your government has really tried. And, and, and it's true. We need to be grateful. It's easy to not be grateful. Isn't it? But grateful to who? So here's the thing. A lot of people are, are, remind us, you know, we shouldn't take it for granted and be so critical and all that. We should be grateful. We should. Grateful to who? Well, we can be grateful to the government and the veterans and a lot of things, but come on. God gave us what we have. And so if America moves into idolatry, that's one thing. But if American Christians, and this is where I'm afraid we're at, we're moving into other, we have other dependencies. We have a lot of gods. You know, Yahweh is good for some things. Jesus helps us with some things. But then when it comes to healing, we have modern medicine. And, you know, you want to get ahead? Well, there's college. And then there's always technology. And there's, there's uh, all these, and the economy. You know, the economy's on this long run is longer than it's ever been, which means it's going to be going down again, folks. Um, that's called, called the business cycle. And uh, your job, whatever you're depending on, and here's the thing. We depend on all those things, and they, they put us into debt and depression and a whole lot of other things because they've become our focus and what we depend on as Christians. Okay, people out there don't have anything else to depend on. But we have to be careful to be worshiping God as American Christians, as Congolese Christians, all over the world, we have to, whatever situation you're in, can we remember these things? Remember Jesus. Praise and thank God. Depend on God. Faithfully follow Jesus only. Receive life and blessing as a result. That's what we need to have happen. And now we need to praise God with communion. So if uh, James would come up and if the, the other worship leaders would come, we need to remember to stay in love. It's easy to fall out of love. In fact, I would say staying in love is more like a mountain you have to keep climbing up. Have you ever been on a, on, a, on a pebbly mountain that you had to, or a sand dune that you were like having to climb up and it didn't seem like you were going anywhere? That's kind of what staying in love is like. You got to keep you got to keep working up that mountain. It's easy to slip back. It's easy to slide down. It's easy to, uh, we have to remember to stay in God's love, stay in God who is love. As we come to communion, I just want to, uh, this, is, this is from Henry Nouwen, his Life of the Beloved. He says, communion is a good example for us 
we are taken and chosen. As Jesus put into his hands the bread, blessed, broken, and then given to the world. And God does that in us. God has done that for us. So let me just pray as we, as we move into communion. Lord, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for all that you have done, all that you have blessed us with. Lord, we are so grateful for giving us bread, giving us drink. We're so grateful for the way you led us out of slavery. We are thankful for the Passover and delivering your people from slavery. We're thankful for Jesus celebrating that Passover with his disciples as he was about to create a greater deliverance, a greater blessing. He took the bread and he broke it, gave it to them, said, this is my covenant. This was the new covenant in his blood and in his body that sealed the covenant in a new way. Thank you that we were welcomed into the covenant. That you've shown love for us, not because of us or anything about us. Because of your greatness, you have blessed us. You have given it to us. So thank you, Lord. Help us to remember you, to remember to be grateful. And now we take this Eucharist, which Eucharisteo is thanksgiving. It's returning the chorus, the grace that you've given us. We return in thanksgiving at this Eucharist, at this communion table as we eat together with you. Amen. So we're going to...